Hey, y'all, and welcome back to the SB Nation College Ball Recruiting Podcast. This is your host, Bud Elliott, the National Recruiting Director for SB Nation, along with my co-host, Morgan Moriarty. Morgan, what's going on? Doing great. How about you? Uh, doing well, doing well. Uh, nice weather down here. It's finally turned kind of kind of fall wintery, and recruit, recruit, recruiting things are actually happening now, which is which is nice. Got stuff, got stuff to talk about. Uh, y'all can follow us every week. We do try to publish weekly during the season, and uh, – Find us on iTunes, Google Play Music. I think we're on SoundCloud, Art19. Uh, and if there's something you want us to get on, just let us know. We'll try to talk to our tech department and see if we can join any other platforms. I know uh, some people are asking about Spotify, so we're looking into that. And you can follow me on Twitter at SBN Recruiting, and you can follow Morgan at uh, Morgan underscore Moriarty. And uh, Morgan, I think that the biggest news of the week here is that the – the major piece for for Butch Jones in their recruiting class, Cade Mays, local kid, five star offensive lineman, he decommitted. That's that's killer. I made this joke on Twitter last night. Uh, maybe he didn't have a five star heart. <laughs> that's all. Awesome. But no, um, yeah, this is bad, and we've talked about maybe keeping head coaches around like when we mentioned Mike Riley and that recruiting class, which has kind of gone down in recent weeks, um, keeping head coaches around for their incoming recruiting class. That um, is probably not going to happen for Butch Jones um, given this decommitment. So, okay. Two things here. Number one, let's just first say where Mays is going. I don't necessarily know where he's going to go. I know, he has four official visits lined up. Uh, Ohio State on the 11th, which is this weekend. They host Michigan State. Clemson on the 18th. Uh, he's going to visit officially here Notre Dame on December 8th, and then Georgia on December 15th. So all four of those schools seem to be doing a lot better than Tennessee is. I'm not trying to bag on Tennessee here, mm-hmm. but I mean they're just they're not in, the, in a good place compared to the the schools that, that they're trying to recruit against. But you brought up an interesting point. Should you ever actually keep a coach, a head coach, to keep his recruiting class together? I I think that the answer for the most part is no. Right? Like because if, if you are seriously considering, hey, this guy is probably not the right guy to run our program, mm-hmm. does it really matter who he signs? I, no. Probably not. And I mean, right now Tennessee's class has seven blue chips, all of them four star. I mean, I don't think all of those are going to end up at Tennessee regardless. Um, especially given, you know, Tennessee has a chance to go winless. It's last games. Yeah, exactly. Um, So, I mean, yeah, I, I just, it's not, there's nothing like really overwhelming when you look at this class that you can say, okay, well, those are, we should hang on to this. I, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think about like the only time when when that might work, and, and I think the answer is probably quarterback, right? Like if you, as a coach, have a, or if if the recruiting class is just so like out of whack or out of line with what you your historical success says, you should be able to sign. Mm-hmm. Like if you're a historical top thirty type signing thing, and for whatever reason your coach on the hot seat, and I don't know how this would work, has managed to like keep together a top five level recruiting class. If you can go from like thirty to five in the rankings and by by keeping your coach one extra year, that might be worth it for the talent infusion into your program, especially if if there was like a Justin Fields type in right. the mix. And I know some people will cite the you know Dabo Swinney keeping C.J. Spiller, you know, because he, he had that relationship with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think it's got to be pretty drastic. I thought about writing it about this 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 week actually, and I, and I still might, but. You know, it, it's just so one-sided. It's basically the article is going to be me saying, "Don't keep your coach for recruiting class purposes unless, like, some circumstances that almost certainly won't exist happen right. to exist." I, I, yeah, and and Butch Jones, I mean, especially his 2014 and 2013 classes, like, were pretty good, and on average, he really drastically improved the level of recruiting and the talent that come in comes in. But I mean, you look at what Tennessee's done on the field, that's, you know, a knock on player development and getting those recruits 
ready for the next level. It just hasn't panned out. So you can make the case for Butch Jones as making improvements on the recruiting trail and getting talent in Knoxville, but it hasn't really panned out. So what else do you really have to hang your hat on if you make the argument to keep Jones around? Right. So, okay, let's say you kept Jones around. They're number four in recruiting in the SEC right now. Uh, they, they were number three, but now they're number four because they lost their best player. Behind them are some programs named Alabama, LSU, and Auburn. I got a pretty good feeling that all three of those programs are going to pass Tennessee. So that would knock down Tennessee from four to five to six to seven. Look, I don't think you keep Butch Jones to keep the number seven recruiting class in the SEC. Right. That's not special. That's kind of <laughs> par for the course for, for Tennessee. You know, I, I expect them to out-recruit. Kentucky and South Carolina and Vanderbilt and Arkansas and Ole Miss and Mississippi mm-hmm. State and Missouri. And I expect them to hang with a couple of the big boys in front of them, but other than that, uh, to kind of be in that five to seven range annually. And I don't think that's it, – it's just not an outlier enough to justify keep, you know, keeping Jones there. Um, Absolutely. I think everyone – and it's kind of funny that, you know, even after the Kentucky game, like, what is Tennessee waiting on? <laughs> I think we all know he's pretty much a dead man walking. Um, and especially with the, you know, the weird concussion stuff that came out last week that really hasn't amounted to much this week. Um, but at this point, it's just kind of like, what is Tennessee waiting for? Or are they not waiting? They're just keeping him around in general. So I think this is an interesting question. Morgan, let me float something out to you. Who do they have? Who do they have remaining on their schedule? Let's look this up. There's the patented Espiation Recruiting uh, podcast typing in the background. They finish with Missouri, Tennessee, or, or Missouri, LSU, and Vanderbilt, and they host LSU. You know, my only real worry if I'm the AD there, and I know I'm going to fire Bush Jones. What's that? It's that if I accidentally put in a, a an interim head coach and he wins. And then I have a – you remember Bill Stewart? I do not. All right, so Bill Stewart was the, uh, like, kind of grandpa-looking coach at West Virginia um, when Rich Rod left West Virginia to take the Michigan job. They promoted Bill Stewart as the interim, and Bill Stewart went and they beat Oklahoma, I think – yeah, I think it was Oklahoma, in the Fiesta Bowl. And there was like such a ground huh. groundswell of support, uh, and this was like like the Pat White and Steve Slayton teams type thing, right? Uh, there was such a groundswell of support there for uh, for Bill Stewart that they ended up hiring him as the head guy, and it was kind of like all the boosters loved him and they wanted him to be it. And he was a West Virginia guy and all that sort of stuff, and ultimately it's kind of like this is not actually a good decision, right? Like this guy would, if the guy would not be on your list normally. Don't hire him just because he had a good three-game sample set. That's not that's not solid. Uh, there are some people who say you can apply this to Ed Orgeron, but I think Ed Orgeron might have been on, on LSU's list. Right. What he did out at USC. So, like, I get the idea that if you fire Bush Jones now, you can start talking to other candidates more openly. But those candidates still don't want to talk openly because they don't want to, like, have word get out that they're talking to you during their seasons. So everything's kind of got to be behind closed doors anyway. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I'm looking at Tennessee's coaching staff right now. I guess you would have Brady Hoke, which is hilarious. I always forget that he's at Tennessee now. Um, Be the interim. Like, do you really think Tennessee would would do that? Would hire him if he if he goes like four and zero or three and zero? I hope not. I mean, just just for for their own fans. We we see him. They're they're crazy enough <laughs> online as it is. Uh, gosh, I love you, Tennessee fans. You, you click our stuff pretty good. Um, but like, I, I think it'll eventually happen. Uh, but I, I don't think that recruiting, like, like I know Richard Johnson wrote, Hey, you know, Tennessee kind of lost its, or Butch Jones kind of lost his last like job security hope. Mm-hmm. A good AD is not going to, to let that be the job security thing. If, if, if it's clear the guy needs to be fired. Now maybe it could be right. a tie breaking factor. That's certainly possible, but, uh. Well, and, and maybe John Curry's just letting him finish out the year, um, not letting however it goes impact his decision. Yeah, no doubt. All right. Um, 
Let's talk, let's shift now a little bit, Morgan, to a talk about a quarterback recruit who I know we both uh, written about previously, and that's uh, Jaron Williams. Jaron Williams, the uh, Kentucky uh, quarterback commit um, who has now received offers, uh, an offer from Ohio State. And Morgan, I, I got to tell you, Ohio State already has a quarterback in their class. So what, what what's going on here? Yeah, this was um, really interesting. And shout out to Land Grant Holy Land who like noticed this and was like, wait, this is a little fishy. So five, uh, four star, right? Emory Jones. Yep. He is currently an Ohio state commit. He's been committed since the summer. Um, and I know you had a chance to talk to him and he said he's, you know, hundred percent committed to Ohio state, but he is, you know, taking visits and, and considering other schools. Um, but yeah, Ohio state recently offered Jaron Williams, um, like four or five days ago. So there's a chance that Emory Jones might be flipping to Alabama, who, um, as I wrote this week, is really, really behind in uh, recruiting with respect to where they've finished the past seven years, which was the number one overall class. Um, I, I think there's a chance that Emory Jones might be flipping, but um, I know there's some other big schools after him too. So um, that was certainly really interesting to see that offer come out. Um, especially, you know, in November, not too far off from that early signing period. Yeah, I, I think if you're if you're Ohio State, that you actually that you go off for Jaron Williams, and they're, and they're both Georgia kids, both from you know nearby Atlanta. Uh, I think that shows how concerned you actually are about uh, about Jones flipping. Uh, hold on, just a second. Hit pause on something. And I think that, look, if you're Ohio State and that you went and offered Jaron Williams when you already have Emory Jones shows how concerned you actually are about Jones flipping, which I think is very concerned, and I think it's a justified concern on Ohio State's part. Um, for for Williams, though, Ohio State is not his only option. I mean, he's, he's also looking at Auburn, uh, probably going to visit there, and he's also looking at Miami. Uh, so if you're Kentucky, you have to be extremely worried about, about Jaron Williams because he has three, uh, three schools looking at him who are doing considerably better uh, than Kentucky is this year. So uh, Miami aggressively recruiting him. They're hosting this weekend along with a, a host of other recruits for their their big game um, against Notre Dame. And then I think he'll visit Auburn as well. Uh, and with that, we can probably get into a few of these other schools that are, that are hosting big-time kids this weekend, Morgan, because you got, you got several big-time visits coming up. Yeah, a lot of them um, on the plains in, in Auburn. Um Trey Hill, Christian Hutt, Quay Walker, maybe Justin Ross. Um, huge game. I feel like it's funny because Auburn at the beginning of the season, after they lost to Clemson and obviously losing to LSU, you know, it didn't look that great. And especially we've, we've talked about Gus Malzahn and whatnot, but they're still in the playoff. I mean, they have two losses, but they – are still in the hunt. So um, this is a chance if, if Auburn can hang with and, and maybe upset the number one team in the country to get some, some really big commits. Absolutely. I mean, if, is there any school out there that has a wider range of possible outcomes over their last couple games? I mean, you have over the next five weeks, Auburn could conceivably play Georgia, some slappy, Alabama, and then potentially Georgia again in the SEC title game if they're able to, right. to win and you know, beat Georgia and Alabama the first time. I totally agree with you. Like they're still in the playoff hunt. There, are they the only two loss team in your opinion that would be win and in? If they went out, yeah. Like if they went out, are they the only two loss team that we could say okay? If they went out, they're in this thing. I think so. I mean, because they would have to beat Georgia twice. Um, and then you have to be Alabama. You knock up, yeah, you knock up Alabama. <laughs> I don't know. I my mind stopped working for a second. So absolutely. I mean, if you have wins over the number one and number two teams in the country, you you have to put them in. And of course, you know we've yet to see a two loss conference champ make it into the playoff, and that could be. I think we could see like some fan reaction, especially depending on what happens in the Big Twelve. You know, TCU, obviously, Oklahoma has a shot. They'll face off this weekend. Um, but, I mean, Iowa State's still in the hunt, too, depending on what happens with that Big 12 meaningless title game. 
Um, because like TCU, they would have to beat Oklahoma twice. So depending on what happens there, I mean, I could see fans, you know, calling it SEC bias and whatnot, but that's like the, the only scenario I could see a two loss conference champ being fully justified in making it in the top four. I, I think I agree with you there. Um, that, that Iowa State thing, by the way, is really interesting. I don't know how many people realize that they do actually have a shot yep. to to get to the Big Twelve title game. Um, and that's and I feel like just to touch on that title game, you know, the Big Twelve thought it was doing the right thing by implementing one, but really, it could hurt the better team in the long run because they would have to beat a team twice when they've already played them head to head. I think it will hurt them in the long run. It just look by by the very nature, and especially how they set it up with, with pitting the top two mm-hmm. best teams against each other. You're essentially a coin flip in that game almost every right. year, right? Like like there, you may be like a sixty forty or a seventy thirty proposition if you have one really truly dominant team. But I mean, putting that kind of obstacle in front of your conference champion or the team that otherwise would be your conference champion is right. not really that smart. The, the real problem the Big Twelve had, and they didn't address this by this conference championship game, they actually compounded the air, that they had a lot of pretty good teams, but no truly great team. Right. You know, like, they didn't have anybody who could actually score points and get stops. You had Texas yeah. who could get stops, and you had Oklahoma who could score points, and you had Baylor who could score points and not get stops, and you had TCU who could do a little bit of both, but maybe not, you know, enough, and they were really good in 2014, we should add. But, like, they would, this would have settled itself out just fine. Right? Like a one-loss Oklahoma this year, it's yeah. going if they finish eleven and one. They don't need a conference title game. They, they, they beat Ohio State on the road. You just you needed better teams, not not additional games. But that's uh, that's probably a, a show or a topic for another podcast, <laughs> like podcast ain't played nobody or or the shutdown full cast or the solid verbal. All all good podcasts on the SB Nation family of networks. But back to Auburn here, <laughs> we kind of full circled this thing. <laughs> a really interesting game here for Auburn recruiting wise because. Who are the top schools that Trey Hill is really considering? For the most part, it's Georgia and Auburn. Early playing time could be very, very attractive to Trey Hill there on the Plains. I know he's a, he's a Georgia kid, and, and the, the guy he blocked for last year in high school happens to be named Jake Fromm. So a, a real connection yeah. to Georgia there, and, and Jake's a pretty personable uh, guy who I, I think will do a great job recruiting Trey Hill. But that, that's one to watch. Christian Tut uh, from from Georgia, obviously was down there at IMG for a little bit, came back, and um, a lot of people thought maybe Nebraska there, but I, again, Nebraska is not really in a great spot right now. They they lost over the weekend to Northwestern, so may, maybe Auburn has an opening there with him. It's hard to see an out of state kid really pledging to Nebraska and sticking at this point. Um, Quay Walker, you know, I, again, can they get him away from Alabama? I kind of doubt it, but I guess we'll see. And then Justin Ross, who a lot of people think is going to go to Clemson, a very dynamic receiver, a, a receiver, Morgan, who at physical ability-wise, he's a freak, but he's more of a basketball player. He has not played football for that long, and so he's still developing and learning. But that would be a great get for the Tigers as well. They, they certainly need some receiver help. They've had some busts there in recent years from highly rated kids. So, you know, Auburn, the number eight class in the SEC – I'm just fascinated to see what Auburn does over the next month. They could go to the playoff. Yeah. They could end up firing their coach. Who knows? Yeah. It's like crazy to think like both of those possibilities are completely like still like could happen. Now, part of the reason why they're actually on the table is because Auburn is, is mostly made up of just crazy people. Uh, so like most other schools would say, yeah, you know, we're not really going to fire our coach. If you know because he lost to the number one and number two teams in the nation and uh, and the number three team or whatever Clemson or they think they're number one at the time, uh, that doesn't really seem reasonable. But Auburn is different, uh, so that's uh, that's possible, I guess. Let's uh, let's shift now to a, another quarterback out of uh, out of Alabama, James Foster, who was a Missouri commit. Uh, Missouri was not doing so well at the time when he decommitted. They're looking a little bit better now. But he's actually set up an official visit this weekend to LSU. Uh, I know he's also uh, looking at Louisville, maybe FSU or Alabama. Got to got to figure out how much they actually like him. Uh, but LSU badly needs quarterbacks. They need they need to load on mm-hmm. load up on those quarterbacks, as we saw last Saturday, because that was kind of sad to watch. I mean, they LSU actually got some guys open against Alabama and just like overthrew them by a mile. It was it was kind of yeah. sad. 
It's funny because like, I think especially in the SEC, we talk about Florida as like having the worst quarterback play since like 2007. But I mean, you could make that argument for LSU too. Now, granted, you know, they had Leonard Fournette and some other great running backs to, you know, not need a quarterback as badly. Um, but I mean, who's the last like really, really successful quarterback there? Zach Mettenberger? I think it's he wasn't Mettenberger, probably. But I mean, yeah. yeah, I guess. I mean, yeah, like you could actually take. It's weird in that you could combine the the Florida and LSU quarterback situations over the last several years and like not feel like significantly upgraded, right? It's like, okay, you can use this kid <laughs> right. too this year. Like, yeah, no, we'll pass. We'll, we'll stick with, with the quarterback we have because none of them are any good. Um, by the way, here's an interesting thing. How about Randy Shannon taking commitments as an interim head coach? That's, uh, you know, could be great. Could also backfire if the school decides or if the, if the next head coach, who I'm guessing won't be Randy Shannon, uh, says, I actually don't really like this kid that much and don't really feel like taking him. That's that's a, it's an interesting move for an interim and and you know, something I think we may want to write about at some point. Like, what do you, how do you recruit as an interim? What do you do? Like, do you just kind of keep telling the kid the school's great and they got plenty of time to offer? Yeah, you know? he, he actually was, um, during his first press conference last week, um, one of the things he said about calling up recruits was just that he's going to sell the University of Florida. And I mean, Given the early signing period, can you really blame him for taking commitments? No, look, and he's got to show, like, look, at, at Randy Shannon is selling himself as much as anything at this point, right? Like, he, the, look at the decisions he's made, and I'm not not faulting him for that. I think these are probably the right decisions, but he knows he's not going to be the next head coach of Florida, even if they win out. It's just not going to happen. So, who, what quarterback do you play? Well, he wants to try and win as many games as possible. He doesn't really care about developing kids for next year, if, especially right. on offense, if he's not going to be there. So he's going to play the QB who the kids might want and who he has the most confidence in. And apparently – I don't know if that's Malik Zaire. <laughs> yeah, he may have made the wrong choice, but I think that's the motivation behind the choice. You know, like you keep playing Franks if you care about next year. If you right. want to win this year, maybe it's Zaire, maybe it's not. Uh, maybe there is no win this year quarterback on this roster. or Maybe that was Del Rio and, and he's he's hurt. Um and you know, like the you're trying to sell yourself and your ability as a recruiter. Yeah, go get commits. Go get kids right. to commit, and and the next coach can deal with the consequences if he doesn't like who mm-hmm. you signed or who you who you, uh, who you got to verbal. I I don't think they would let an interim coach sign players though, unless they were players who were already committed to the school. Right. You know what I'm saying? Well, I mean, he's going to be gone by November 27th, anyways. So. Yeah, you think they'll have their their next coach ready? Um. I mean, it's interesting because it depends on who it is and whether or not that team has either a big bowl game or a conference championship game. Um, the timing of that championship Saturday is December 3rd. Um, I would assume like the Monday after that or maybe even Thanksgiving weekend would be ideal to name a head coach. But I mean, if it's someone like Scott Frost, he could potentially be in the middle of um, you know, a, a group of five playoff bid season. And I don't know, would you would you leave that? I mean, I think if you're Scott Frost, you, he did, you don't really yeah. want to because the reputation, but right. like, you can't turn down Florida to just coach UCF mm-hmm. in a bowl game. And Scott Strickland did mention, like, uh, wanting the head coaches, wherever they are, to finish out their seasons. I don't know what <laughs> – does that mean regular season? Does that mean – Finishing out championship Saturday, I don't know. I I don't know what you do. Yeah, that's that. that and, that's the, tough. and we've talked about it before about um, you know the the early signing period starting December twentieth. Let's say you get a guy in even December tenth. That's ten days to get your ducks in a row when you probably don't have a full staff yet, um, and you're already down. You know given that Florida's going through a coaching change in general, that's, it's tough. And it, it makes the coaching carousel season really, really interesting in, in terms of timing with this new early signing period. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of uh, timing and buyouts, let Morgan, it is time to uh, do what we like to do, which is the buyout <laughs> watch. And we don't take a lot of pleasure in this, but uh, ultimately 
feel a little bit less bad about some of these guys getting the axe when they make five or six million dollars a season because it's kind of just comes to the territory. You know, the part of the reason why they get paid so much is because they might not last that long. We'll go in alphabetical order here, but I think this guy might have had the worst weekend anybody, and that's Brett Bielema, who came off a one point win uh, against Arkansas or against Ole Miss the previous weekend, and they had a. Uh, uh, one score win over Coastal Carolina. Can can you give me the the mascot of Coastal Carolina? They are. Be, I only know this because I wrote the gamer to the story. Um, I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's like Chanticleers or something. Oh, okay. What the hell is a Chanticleer? I don't know about. I've I'm actually heard this because they're good in they're good in baseball. Right. Uh, it's like a bird. Okay, because when I first Googled it, it, the YouTube thing came up, and it's a full-time male classical vocal ensemble in the United States, <laughs> San Francisco. Okay. Bird. That's it. You, you found it. What is it? Uh, oh, oh, hey, they gave us pronunciation on this, too. It's not Chanticleer. Apparently, it's Chanticleer. Okay. And they're, for short, they're the Shants. Huh. Uh, Coastal Carolina heading into that game was one and seven, and they were zero and five in Sun Belt play. By the way, I did bet them in the uh, SB Nation betting column that that I do, which is on nice. fire. So I do want to I do want to promote that right now. Uh, that's like I think I've had a winning week every single week since I got power back from the hurricane, uh, which is a, a solid streak. That's about six or seven weeks now. Um, the only reason I bet them, and just to go into the psychology of this, because that's certainly not one of the lines we would have discussed on the show, uh, was because I figured Arkansas was in a big-time like let-down, look-ahead sandwich here where they're coming off mm-hmm. the big win over Ole Miss, and they got LSU on deck, and here comes Coastal Carolina, which has actually been like slightly unlucky this year. They probably should have had two wins instead of just one. And you figure, okay, people look at it and say, okay, the Coastal only has one win. They're they're terrible. And I, I think they're kind of in that, like, Bad, but not like bottom 120 bad type range. And it is important to, to differentiate, I think, in gambling between you got to gotta differentiate between great and good. And then you also have to differentiate equally as important here, like bad versus terrible. Because terrible, I don't want to bet on, but I'll bet on some bad teams if I'm getting value. And I thought they kind of fit that a little bit. That's why I put them in there um, along with the, the psychology of the Arkansas thing. But Arkansas almost lost at home. I did not expect them to lose. I, I just figured they would maybe, you know, screw around for a half and not cover. Um, Brett Bielema, they're not making a bowl, are they? <laughs> I feel like we do this every week, but definitely not. Yeah, that's that's going to be tough. What what's their best win this year? Is it is it the Ole Miss win? I think. So a one point win at Ole Miss, and then they finish. At LSU, host Mississippi State, and host Missouri. There are other wins outside of Ole Miss and Coastal Carolina are FAMU Go and New Mexico State. Okay, so they're they're at three then. They, so they need to they need to win out to uh, to go to bowl. So that's not going to happen. Um, how do you think Gus Malzahn would look would look in uh, in in, in uh, Fayetteville? I think he's looking at. Arkansas play every week and being like, please lose so that I can just head back to Arkansas and run my offense there. I mean, it makes sense. I'm not saying he wants to leave Auburn, but like if things just, if the Auburn people just go totally like Auburn crazy, then like that's a nice, that's a tremendous backup plan to have. Most people don't have the ability to parachute out of one SEC job to another if that were to happen. Uh, Granted, that's like all like SEC message board conspiracy theory stuff right now, but still. Speaking of Gus, they, they did go on the road and stomp Texas A&M, which I, I think makes him look a little bit better. They, they didn't screw around there. Um, so I, I think Bielema was out. Nebraska, uh, they lost at home to Northwestern just in overtime, but still not not uh, not good there for Mike Riley. That's another school, Morgan. You, you asked why doesn't Tennessee make a move. Why is Northwestern not making a move here? They're – they're, or excuse me. Why is Nebraska? Nebraska. Move? They're they're four and five overall. They're you know they're uh, they're three and three in the conference. Um, they don't really have any any impressive wins. They they 
I don't know. Like they finish at Minnesota, at Penn State, and they host Iowa. They're they're probably not going to bowl unless they go two and one in that slate, which I kind of hard to see them doing. Yeah, and as we've talked about before, <laughs> I feel like it's going to come down to uh, Nebraska or Florida for Scott Frost. So right now, I mean, Florida likely has the leg up on that, but we'll see. Oh, yeah. I, I think you're exactly right. And if I'm Scott Frost, I'm not taking Nebraska. Like, I would take Nebraska over Tennessee, and I wrote about that a couple weeks ago, but I'm not taking Nebraska over Florida. I, there's a different level of player I can get at Florida. Right. And and Scott knows that because he's actually recruited in the state. Yeah. Like, he probably knows, okay, I've signed all these guys. They're really good. And think about all the guys I couldn't sign in the state who Florida actually signed. You um, know who I kind of compare that to is, like, when Mark Richt was looking at the Miami job. I mean, Mark Rick didn't take that because he's from Miami, played there. He took that because he knew he could win in South Florida and, and win in the state of Florida, and he's done that. Oh, for sure. Oh, also, uh, kind of reminds me a little bit of, of, of another guy who did coach at Florida, the Urban Meyer uh, Notre Dame Florida thing, right? He's like, well, Meyer returned yeah. to Notre Dame and, and all that right. kind of stuff. Ultimately, he was like, nah, I'm going to go where I can get players. So I'm going to go to Florida, which, yeah, I, I don't think – if it does come down to Florida and Nebraska for Scott Frost, I'd have a hard time seeing him take Nebraska or Florida, even though he has the, the alumni tie there. Uh, okay, Tennessee, I think we already talked about. <sighs> Texas Tech. <laughs> Coach Ray-Ban is uh, – oh, man. The future's not so bright for him, it doesn't look like. He's now 1-5 in conference play after they lost at home to Kansas State. And Morgan, he has to win two out of his final three, which is host Baylor, host TCU, and at Texas, just to make a bowl there. I, I, do, do you think Cliff, Cliff sees 2018 in, in Lubbock? I don't know. Um, I know like when he was hired, the administration was like really, really happy of getting him to come back, but – you know, aside from like his first year, which was relatively successful, you know, he, he hasn't done much. Um, his offense still puts up a ton of points. You know, they've had some shootouts and stuff, but the winning just isn't there. Um, and, and when you can't do it in a conference like the Big 12, that doesn't, as we talked about, doesn't have that many great teams. That doesn't bode too well for you. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. Um, A and M, by the way, which feels like they're just like looking for any reason to fire Kevin Sumlin, might have gotten it because they got stomped at home by Auburn. Like that game really was not mm-hmm. competitive, and that's the second straight weekend that you know because Mississippi State came in there and 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 and, and uh, I was going to say something I'm not supposed to say on the podcast, so I really <laughs> laid the wood to him. Uh, you know, can we say I beat that ass? We probably can. Uh, probably. It's, it's fairly clean. All right. It's, it's not like one of the one of the four letter words. Um, yeah. So that A and M came there and basically did the same thing Mississippi State did, and uh, and that doesn't look too good for Kevin Sumlin, who, uh, you know, I, I he's he's going to get paid a, a decent little buyout if they, if they they do decide to move in another direction there. And there are already reports that they're looking at Jimbo Fisher. <laughs> oh yes. I am all for these rumors. Our time augmentation traffic on this is tremendous. And it's just because, like, I would love to see, like, Jimbo Fisher's not going anywhere, but I would love to see Texas A&M fans, like, really, really believing that he is, which I I could easily see happening. I did float a theory on the Nolcast, which is my FSU show. Do you remember back when, when Bill Simmons was, like, openly complaining about ESPN all the time? Mm-hmm. And people were like, Bill, you, you kind of have a great gig at ESPN, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, what are you doing, like, taking all these complaints publicly, like, all the time? Sometimes, like, you're, you're trying to psych yourself up to, like, to convince yourself that you really should leave a good situation, you know? Like, you, in your heart, you know it's probably not all that smart to leave. because it's, it's Right. It's very easy to win at Florida State. I mean, there's no, there's no Syracuse or Boston College or Wake Forest in the SEC West. Uh, in fact, you might be like the NC State of the SEC West if, if you're a mm-hmm. and I know they don't want to hear that. Uh, you also have to recruit against Tom Herman, who is just absolutely kicking butt on the recruiting trail right now. I don't think he'll leave either, but like he doesn't seem real happy right now. He was taking like shots about the facilities in uh, in the press conference on Monday, and I was kind of thinking, you know, dude, uh, 
you, you just beat Syracuse on a missed field goal. I don't know if that, that is <laughs> to, to, to go to three and five. They're having to reschedule the Louisiana Monroe game for you to help you make a bowl game. That may not be the time to complain about the facilities. And he should have learned from this because remember Jim McElwain complained about the facilities yep. and the commitment like the I day after he got a contract extension. Yep. Like you and I should teach a course on timing. Like when <laughs> should you bring up complaints about facilities? We'll, we'll have like the the Bud and Morgan search for, <laughs> search firm PR firm checklist. Like, okay. <laughs> Did I win the game? Yes. Have I previous to this? Do we lose more games than we had won? Oh yeah. Also yeah. Okay. Uh, no. Then keep quiet for another week. Especially if Clemson is about to like about to lay the wood to you. Yeah. Maybe not and the smartest move, but I do want to see A and M fans. Like you said, that's gonna be awesome. The other thing too, I mean, you really think Jimbo wants to play Alabama every year when he can easily win the ACC easily? Uh, otherwise. When he's at Florida State, I don't it's think a great so. point. The only thing I think about this is like some guys are just awesome as change agents. You know, they come in and they get the buy-in to go from seventy to hundred, which is tough to do at times. But some of these guys mm-hmm. who are like mercenary change agents really can do that. There's another guy in Columbus now who I think might be really good at doing that. I think Jimbo's really good at doing that. But the personalities of some of these guys and the way they maintain and operate some of their programs can it really grate on people? And it's not somebody you necessarily want to work for. I'm not saying Jimbo's one of these guys, but I'm saying a lot of these people are. This is why it's so hard to maintain and win a national championship after like year right. four or five out of school. Eventually, people either resent you or tune you out or both. And then it becomes really hard to get that buy-in from like 85 to 100. Sometimes it's easier to go from like 70 to 100. Uh, you kind of the, the good is the enemy of great type philosophy there. Um, but that's just – if if Jimbo is self-aware enough and – comes to his own conclusion that he's a better change agent than he is a maintainer. Mm-hmm. I think he would do well at Texas A&M. I, I did a and a for our, our excellent Texas A&M blog the other day, uh, Good Bull Hunting. And I said, look, I think he's probably a win better per season than someone was. And almost immediately. And the guy's a hell of a recruiter. I mean, he's always right. like top three, top five. It won't be this year because they're going to have to fire almost their entire coaching staff. Um, but I think he would definitely flip it. Now, is he a 10-year guy in, in – uh, in College Station, don't know. I don't know if he's a ten-year guy in Tallahassee, but I, I agree with you. I think the situation, if he can be a maintainer, is much better in Tallahassee. Well, I think just from a recruiting standpoint, which obviously he's done great at, but wouldn't you look at Texas A&M and you mentioned going up against Tom Herman? You know, Baylor's going to get better. Houston's going to get better. That's a challenge I think Jimbo looks at that as because he's been at Florida State for so long and it's really different geographically in Texas. Oh, maybe, for sure. I mean, maybe he opens up a Florida pipeline there, but um, that's definitely like an interesting factor that I think if he is looking at that job um, that you consider. You know, they've had some success in Houston, which, which is the ma- major feeder city for, for Texas A&M because it's only like 40 minutes away. Um but you're right, it is tough. And it's also tough because Tom Herman has had a lot of success in Houston. Like a lot of times yep. Houston is A&M's province and then you know Dallas is more the Dallas and Austin kind of feed the you know the, the Longhorns more. But the, Texas is really killing it in Houston right now, which is another reason why A&M apparently wants someone out. Uh, I'm sure he, if he were to go, he would bring Tim Brewster with him who's done a great job of recruiting in Houston. Uh, little known fact here for a lot of people before they started following recruiting. You know who the top Texas assistant was who actually signed Vince Young back in the day out of Houston when, when, when Texas didn't get a whole lot of Houston kids at the time? That's right, Tim Brewster. Wow, I didn't so, know that. Yeah, and he got Marvin Wilson last year out of there who was you know number one defensive tackle in the nation. Um, so he's he's long had a, a strong history of recruiting in, in Houston. So if Jimbo were to go, I, I got to think you'd, you'd take Tim Brewster with you and, and go try to do the Houston thing. But it, it's a much bigger challenge than Florida State is. It's just – it's just not that hard to, to to win at Florida State. That's why they've gone to bowl games for like 40 consecutive years or whatever the number is now. Um, we got one more on this list we really didn't talk about, and that's Jim Moore. Oh, Jim Moore. Mm. <laughs> they lost by 30 to Utah. You got fans who are trying Following to – Following a 21-point beatdown at Washington. They've lost five recruits in the last week. 
they have fans doing GoFundMe's to fly banners <laughs> over the Rose Bowl to say fire Jim Mora. Um, Which we have seen work before, Al Golden. Oh, you're right. <laughs> so maybe they should do it. Those Miami <laughs> fans loved to to fly the banners. And I was kind of thinking, like, why would you fly the banner over the stadium if nobody's in the stadium? Like, that's not really good, like, art, you know, audience targeting. Fly it over the beach, which is the excuse you give why people are not at the games, right? They're all at the beach. So they fire right. it at the beach or fly it at the beach. But, uh, you know, shots aside, I, I talked to, you know, uh, some UCLA people, and they were like, well, the, the issue here is that Dan Guerrero, the AD, does not seem – does not like to spend money, right? Like he's apparently pretty good fiscally, but just doesn't like to spend money ever, which is only half of being AD. You're also supposed to at least attempt to win. Um, and if they keep Jim Mora after losing Josh Rosen to the draft, which I assume will happen, that it's hard to see that turning around real well there for him. But but maybe I don't know. Pac-12 is different. That's uh, that's a different situation. Yeah, next three games. Arizona State at USC, Cal. I don't know if they – they'll probably beat Cal, right? It's, is it at Cal? It's at home. Okay. Cal's they get Arizona State better, and but... Cal at home, and then USC's on the road. USC's been playing really well, by the way. Like that yeah. that also helps Notre Dame's playoff chances, how well mm-hmm. they've been playing. But I, I don't know. UCLA – if I had to guess at that, I think one and two is more likely than two and one. But they – are they going to make a bowl? They have four wins right now. Okay, so, the, so they're another team here that needs to go two and one to, to make the bowl. That's that's curious. So, All right, uh, Morgan, it's that time. We have to talk a little gambling here, and uh, we like to do this. and feel like we typically give out pretty solid picks or at least a good discussion of it. So as per the custom, I'll read off some interesting lines. And uh, I think instead of reading them all off at first, we can just – uh, talk about them one one by one. If you ask, if you actually like, feel like there's something interesting there, and if not, we can just pass on it and go on to the next one. We got Michigan State at Ohio State. And Ohio State is laying fifteen and a half. That's a little high. I'll I take Michigan so State too. to cover that. Like I still think Ohio State has the potential to cover this, but at the same mm-hmm. time. Like Michigan State has played Urban Meyer teams really tough every year. They they take away a lot of the difficult throws. They make JT Barrett make the hard throws. He doesn't get a lot of those easy bubble screens. They tackle pretty well. They're actually kind of scoring some points a little bit now. I, I if they can block Ohio State at all, which hey, some teams have not been able to do that. There's a chance there, and I don't know what Ohio State's motivation is going to be in this because Ohio State, right? Like Michigan State to me is a team coming off a terrible year they might be really motivated to go and win this game and win the Big Ten. If you're Ohio State, do you really care about winning the Big Ten anymore? Because you're, you're not getting into the playoff, I don't think, with, with a blowout loss at Iowa and a home loss to Oklahoma. Um, I you might. I, I want to see how well they bounce back from, from that Iowa blowout. Yeah, Michigan State this week I wrote, um, they jumped 12, point, 12 spots in this week's college football playoff rankings, which is like the highest ever since the committee started um, doing a top 25. And when you look at their losses, I mean, they lost Northwestern, obviously, which doesn't look good. Uh, but their one other loss was to Notre Dame. Now, Michigan State's still not going to make it in the playoff because they have two two losses already. But I could certainly see them beating Ohio State and winning the Big Ten. But I don't think they're a playoff team just because of those two losses. I, I think I'm with you there. Um, okay, Oklahoma State, dangerous road game here. Goes on the road at Iowa State, and they're laying seven. I'll take Ohio State to cover. Iowa State, sorry. You're going to take – okay, I, we might have a disagreement here. I, I'm thinking I might take Oklahoma State, but this is another one of those motivational ones, right? Like, is Oklahoma State going to be excited to get up on the road – and, and go play Matt Campbell's team there in Ames, Iowa. I, I don't know. Like, this might be a game Especially where Especially after State's... losing a game like you did against Oklahoma last week. Right, exactly. I mean, that was that was tough to take. And they had a chance to win that. That was that, that final drive was, was not very good by them. Um, all right, uh, NC State laying three at Boston College. That's uh, <laughs> Why is that so low? I, I mean, I know BC's been better over the last month. Is this another motivational thing? Like, a, 
Will NC State care to play this game after they got you know beat at home by Clemson? Maybe. Give me NC State in the points, though, with that. I mean, come on, Vegas. I'm going to agree with you, Morgan. Because <laughs> State, of, I mean, they've lost, but they're not that bad. They can stop the run. And Boston right. College really just does not throw the ball very well. Yeah. So, and Ryan like, Finley, I mean, he struggled against Clemson, obviously, but he looked, he's had a pretty solid season. So He's good. Like He rarely turns the ball over, and mm-hmm. they that – you know, like, if you don't ever turn it over and you play good defense, you, you'll win a lot of games. Arkansas, we already talked about. They're at LSU. LSU is laying 17 against the Cats. God. How are they going to score? Like, non-offensive touchdowns? I, I, that's a lot of points to lay with <laughs> LSU. Like, I don't like Arkansas. I, they're not very good. But, man. I'll take Arkansas to cover that. Yeah, that's a whole lot of points. I still think LSU wins by like 10 or maybe 14, but 17 is a little much. I mean, think about what the score has to be for LSU or for LSU to like comfortably cover that. Is that like a, that's like a 31-7 type thing? I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and if, if Arkansas can get to 17, then that means that LSU is going to need 35. <laughs> oh, God. Which, which I don't think is going to happen. Um, Vatek is laying three at Georgia Tech. I don't think I want to have any interest in watching this game at all. No. Please. Nope. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm actually not going to get to watch game, many games this weekend for the night stuff because I'm going to the uh, the final uh, final IMG game of the year, high school game. It's on a Saturday. They're hosting oh, the Bishop, nice. Bishop Sullivan. Yeah, so I'll watch the 3.30 games, and then up in the press box I'll probably watch a little, maybe bring a, uh, bring a tablet or something so you can catch some night games. Notre Dame is laying three at Miami. Oh, I don't even want to touch this game. Uh, I'm passing this. This might be my favorite game of the week. I, I, oh, yeah, I've, hands I've, down. I've been circling this, and the one thing I noticed here, Miami is 110th in the nation in rushes of 20-plus yards per game given up. Notre Dame is the most explosive running team that doesn't run the option, so like other than like Air Force and Army and Navy and that kind mm-hmm. of stuff in the country. To me, this is like a like – a, a, a fly ball pitcher in a really small ballpark. You know, like you may be really effective if you get to play right. like one of those, like, you know, if you Dodger Stadium, but like when you got to go play in Houston, it's like all those fly balls turn into home runs. I, this is exactly the kind of defense Notre Dame wants to see to me. Like they, they hit home runs via the run game, and Miami gives up a lot of home runs via the run game. Uh, I I think I'm, I'm Notre Dame might be my top play of the week just because of that, that stat differential there. But I, I I do think Miami's a better team than some people think. Yeah, and their defense looked really, really good last week against Virginia Tech. Um, yes. And I, we talked about, I think it was last week um, or the week before when I mentioned the Virginia Tech game, still not really trusting Miami and how good they were. I think they surprised a lot of people because, you know, Virginia Tech in that second half had quite a few chances um, offensively to, to get momentum and, get in the end zone, but Miami's defense really kept them off the board. It did. You know, you're exact, and I think also last week when we did this, we didn't know if Rozier was going to play. Mm-hmm. Remember, because he, he got banged up late in the UNC right. game, and so we, we weren't really sure on that. Uh, here's one for you. Georgia, the, in the, the Deep South's oldest rivalry, laying three at Auburn. <sighs> I'll take that. That's low. You but I can it? see why it's like, yeah. I I got a feeling I, I want to take the Tigers here. I, I I don't know if I can pull the trigger yet. Georgia has been so good, but nobody has actually made them throw. Like Georgia has thrown when they want to throw, mm-hmm. but like I don't think anybody's actually like has Georgia had to throw because they had to throw. I think in only one game, and the game I'm thinking about is the Notre Dame game. You know, yeah, because right. they 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 got in, in in bad situations. They they couldn't just run the ball down Notre Dame's throat, and ultimately it kind of you know the, the the game fell on Jake Fromm. Now the tricky thing for me is this: Jake didn't play very well that day. You know, he he threw twenty nine passes for one hundred forty one yards, which is like a mind bogglingly low four point nine yards in attempt, and he had a pick and and a touchdown. I mean, by far his his worst game of the year, I, I think, unless you want to count Tennessee, but that was a little different. You know, in, in he hasn't been great on the road, 
But it was only his second game of the year, so I don't know how much to discount it because it was you know, the first second game of his career, honestly. But I, I don't know. I Well, yeah, and I think obviously that what goes with that is Georgia's been able to run the ball. I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, I think Auburn's run defense has been good, but Georgia's looked really, really efficient with Nick Chubb um, and – and running the football, but I don't like. I still don't know if if Fromm's going to have to do that. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I you know because he's been able to find like a balance where you know he'll throw on first and second down and whatnot. But I mean, I think that Georgia's run game is good enough to where they can just go up maybe a touchdown or ten points and just run the ball to run out the clock. It really might be. I, I if. If Auburn can force Georgia to throw it, then I like my then I like the Auburn pick. But if they can't, you're, you're going to win this in a runaway, you know, because then then you got you, you got Fromm throwing on play action, and and that's that's just a different ball game. Um, okay. FSU's at Clemson. Clemson's laying uh, seventeen. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> are you? Does Clemson cover that? Oh, 16. I'm sorry, it must have dropped. Uh, it started at at nineteen. You know, I don't know if Clemson covers that or not. I at first I thought, okay, Clemson's going to kill these guys, and they probably will. This is the first like road game that Fort State's played that's actually in like a true hostile environment. Clemson's yeah. one of the toughest stadiums in the nation to play. Uh, the offense for Fort State's not any good. You know, they, they, Cam Akers last week was great, but they they really don't score that many points on anybody. They play very very slow. I mean, they're like boring to watch. It's it's tough. I I, I would not want to have season tickets for them. Um, but Jimbo usually has a really good plan for Brent Venables' defenses, even when the offense isn't good. I mean, that, that 2015 team with Sean McGuire that went up there, Fisher actually schemed open a lot of stuff. Now, McGuire didn't hit it, but uh, like he seems to usually have a pretty good job against Venables. And Charles Kelly has played Clemson as a defense coordinator pretty well, Like especially in that 2015 game when, when Deshaun Watson had a thing rolling, they go up there. And even last year, they, they, they had some stuff played pretty well. Uh but it's just so hard to see if she's scoring enough points to do this. Because if if Clemson scores 31, then Florida State's got to score 14 to be able to cover it. And I just don't yeah. know if they will. Yeah. Originally, I was going to say FSU covers just because it's still FSU-Clemson, even though FSU hasn't looked good all season. But, yeah, I I don't trust that offense to put up 16. The other issue is, like, 16. how many of Florida State's coaches have basically just quit? You know, like if I knew I was getting full buy-in from the coaching staff and that the players still trusted the coaches, I would 100% be on Florida State here. And I would have taken earlier in the week and grabbed the 18. But they're kind of on my no list. And I think every, every gambler needs to have a no list where it's like, okay, you just realize that, like, this team may seriously have quit on the year or just doesn't care or it has enough kind of non-football elements going on within the program to where you just don't want to put your money at risk with them. Here's one for you. How about Iowa at Wisconsin laying 12? Hmm. I will take Iowa to cover that. I think Wisconsin wins that game, but as, you know, I think the committee pointed this out too, I don't know how good Wisconsin is. Their schedule has not been good. They're undefeated, but that might be why. And also, they've been really banged up throughout the season. So I will take I'll take Iowa to cover the twelve. I'm I'm right there with you. I'm I'm a little surprised at this at this line. Now look, Iowa does not always score points. You know, they they, they only scored ten against Northwestern. They only scored seventeen against Minnesota. Um they only scored ten at Michigan State. They only scored nineteen against Penn State. Granted, 55 was, was a, a, a truckload of points. Um, this feels kind of like a trap. Like, why is Wisconsin, uh, you know, why are they laying 12? Like, it almost mm-hmm. feels high, but I'm, I'll step into the trap. I'll, I'll, I'll go against the Badgers, uh, and, and if I lose, I lose. But that's just too many points, I think. Uh, Washington State is laying one at Utah. Morgan, I got to tell you here, I'm all over Utah on this. I, I, I think Washington State is, uh, is kind of running on some fumes. Hmm. I'll, I'll agree with you. 
All That's right. fair. Alabama is coming off a huge game, and they're going on the road at Mississippi State and laying 14 points. And I'm kind of inclined to take the Tide again just because, I like, even going back to those 09 and, or 08 and 09 championship games in the SEC, I feel like Nick Saban has always had a really good feel for Dan Mullen's defenses or, or offenses. Yeah. Like, Florida beat them in 08, but they, they made them work for it. You know, mm-hmm. and in 09, they, they kind of shut them down pretty well. Um, oh, they, they shut them down real well. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was the crying game, right? Yeah, he made Tim Tebow cry. Oh, gosh, Nick Saban, you're, you're, you're <laughs> a bully. Uh, and he typically does a pretty good job against Dan Mullen at Mississippi State. Uh, so I, yeah. I, I may take the tide here, but Alabama is losing defenders left and right here. Like, they're uh, – uh, it wouldn't surprise me if Saban comes out and it's like, all right, does anybody have an experience in the press corps <laughs> of playing linebacker uh, that, and is open to taking deer antler spray slash steroids? Uh, <laughs> Still, but that's why that's why you bring in the number one recruiting classes in the country. So you have that kind of depth. Exactly. I mean, they, they I lost mean, another two team, more to right. and, and if it was anyone else, they would be screwed. But Nick Saban has that roster like absolutely stacked. Their, their third stringers would be starters at Mississippi State. That's true. A lot of them, at least. Um, and then finally, here's a good one. We'll end on a good one today. How about TCU at Oklahoma? Oklahoma's laying seven. This seems a little high, but I also don't know what the committee sees in TCU to put them at number six. So I have a feeling TCU might get a little bit exposed this weekend. So give me Oklahoma and the points at home. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna take Oklahoma and and, and lay the points as well. Uh, the only thing I, I look at here, you know, Kenny Hill, uh, he has one, two, four. Playing in the Big Twelve, he has six games this year that are under a quarterback rating of 150. Hmm. Now, like the one, the 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 game he had against West Virginia was actually pretty. Good. It was one forty six, but he has you know one hundred six, one twenty eight, a seventy seven. Last week at one twenty two against Texas. I don't know if they can score with Oklahoma. Like, like Oklahoma's gonna get theirs points wise. I, I really think. Right. Um, I don't know if you can keep up. Maybe maybe they can. Maybe I'll be wrong about that. But I I think I'm, I'm with you there on the favorite and, and taking uh, taking the Sooners. So. What uh, what do you still have coming this week, Morgan? Uh, one really cool story I'm doing, which um, it's kind of funny because it just kind of dawned on me that this is hands down the biggest game for Miami at home since they moved to Hard Rock Stadium or Sun Life Stadium or Landshark Stadium, whatever you want to call it. Um, so just kind of doing like a brief explainer type piece on Miami home games there. Um, their attendance has gone way up ever since Mark Rick was hired. Um, and I'm going to talk to uh, some fans who have been to Miami home games, like in the dark days of Al Golden, um, just to give people a sense of, of that stadium and how, you know, it's obviously not a college stadium and it's not the orange bowl, but um, it could be, you know, becoming, more Orange Bowl esque um, as Miami starts winning. Yeah, I think that'd be awesome. Um, like that, this is the first what non Florida State game to fill that stadium up since when? Since they uh, the since other they big games, there? or they had an Oklahoma game. I remember right. Yeah, the other big games. Uh, Florida State coming in was number two in 2014, um, and then they played Oklahoma, who was number eight at the time. So, um, the, besides that, but like never, never a game of this magnitude where Miami's already said they're sold out completely. And last week they were like 1300 seats, empty sheet seats shy, excuse me, of, uh, reaching capacity at hard rock. So I also got to tell you, I think reducing the capacity like they did is smart. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot yep. of schools are doing that. I know a couple schools have actually increased, but most schools out there, I, I think college football is on a bit of a bubble in some ways. And like expanding, like, if I was an AD right now, 
like going from 90 to 100 or, for, or from 80 to 90 would just be so far down on my list. Unless I right. had, like I know A&M did it, but A&M has like one of the fastest growing and largest cities in America 40 minutes away in, in right. Houston. You know, that that's a little bit different. And I know Miami has a local thing, but they're not a, a huge state school. And um, especially that stadium is a whole 20-something miles from the University of Miami campus. So, Have, have you Google Maps how long it takes to get there? So I looked today, today's Wednesday in the afternoon, and it was like 40 minutes without traffic. So I can't even imagine how bad that is, like on game day. I know some Miami riders have done it, and it, it takes them like an hour to get from actual yeah. campus to like to the stadium. Um, that's like you got to give them credit for what they're able to do because that, that, exactly. that is a pretty thing to overcome. Right. All right. Uh, as always, five star reviews on iTunes are good. We got a couple of them. I think we had uh, oh we had, we had a new review last week, so that was cool. Said uh, good recruiting information and fun uh, fun to listen to. So we all, we always like that. And uh, see, if we got any new ones since then? Oh, we're up to nine nine five star ratings or eight five star ratings now. Nice. And uh, uh, nice. Oh, one guy gave us a one star, but that's I think that was before you had the microphone. So we're good ah. on that. Um, yeah, so hey, more five-star ratings. We, we, we want those for sure. And I'll talk to you next week more. Sounds good. All right, take care.